please stand and turn with me, if you will, uh, to Ephesians chapter 4. If you're using one of the church Bibles, you'll find that on page 978. Uh, focus is going to be on verses 20 through chapter 5, verse 2, verse 3, and verse 17 um, for context. Uh, so, Ephesians 4, 17 through chapter 5, verse 2. Since this is our God's word to us this morning, let us give our attention to the reading of it. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds." And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For you are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with the malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Spends the reading of our God's word. Let us ask his blessing on our time in it this morning. Great God, we are not what we were meant to be. We believe things that aren't true. We love things that aren't good. We do things that are wicked and destructive. We serve ourselves instead of others. And we prefer our own glory to yours. But your word is good and it confronts our pride. It, it silences our lies and it exposes our sins. But it also gives hope to the hopeless, grace to the lost, and comfort to the afflicted. Because in it we discover you. We want to know you. And so please, please help us to hear your truth and to hear and add understanding to our understanding, add agreement, and to our agreement, add faith. And to our faith, add growth, love, and humility, we pray. Do this as we open your word this morning. 
Amen. Uh, You may be seated. Well, the last few years, I think, have felt like a whirlwind. COVID, lockdowns, mandates, uh, riots, CPT, identity politics. Uh, People's heads are spinning, trying to keep up with everything. And it feels like the ground beneath our feet is constantly shifting. And we wonder how to respond. We have fear. We have anger, we have divisions, and the church is not immune. As we begin the new year and we have our annual meeting uh, this, uh, I guess this afternoon after worship, I thought it would be good to pause and just ask, what's going on and how do we respond? Uh, in God's providence, we covered some of this in Sunday school as well this morning. Uh, wasn't planned, but there was a baby born this week and Isaac was unable to teach Sunday school. Uh, and I think the first thing that we need to realize is that what's going on around us is not new. We heard that in Ecclesiastes, didn't we? There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing truly surprising about what we see going on around us. And while the unique expressions uh, in our present age might be new, the heart behind those expressions is not. Accordingly, um, I want to make a confession and admission up front. I have nothing new to say. Uh, Really, all I have is a simple reminder of things we know Things we do in God's word. That we are God's children. And that means something for how we are to respond to our current context and how we are to understand it. And so my hope this morning is should we remind you of this. God calls you to respond to the world's hostility by remembering who you are and by imitating Jesus in living lives of sacrifice and love. That's how we are to respond. To first and foremost remember who we are and how that leads us to respond with love and sacrifice. I, I hope to bring that to, to the surface and to light from this beautiful passage in Ephesians uh, 4 even as we take a short break from the book of Luke. I hope to be back in Luke next week. Uh, Lord willing. And I think this passage might be familiar to many of us. It has this beautiful reminder of what it is that unites, or at least should unite us, the fact that we are all made in the image of God. And it addresses how the devil seeks to undermine and divide all people, especially God's children. And it gives us hope remembering and reminding us uh, of the work that God is doing in each and every one of us as Christians. And, and finally, this passage calls us to see adversity as an opportunity to love and to serve one another. And so that's really where we're headed this morning. The passage has a list of commands that all kind of commandments don't do this, but instead do this sort of structure and pattern. Don't lie, but speak the truth. 
Uh, don't let anger fester, but make peace before the sun goes down. Uh, don't steal, but work hard that you might have extra so you can share and bless others. Uh, don't tear down, but thoughtfully find out what is useful and encouraging and edifying to build others up in the moment. Don't be angry or bitter or slanderous, but be kind and tender-hearted and forgiving. <laughs> that is daunting. And yet you can see a, a, a consistent theme. What do uh, lies and anger and destructive speech and bitterness and slander all have in common? They are all self-serving. Each is, is self-protective. Each cares less about others and serves only the way of doing them. Why do people lie? It's to protect themselves from consequences of the truth coming out. Why do people steal? Because it's, it's the easy way to comfort or provision. Why do we tear others down? Well, isn't it to make ourselves feel better? To feel superior? What is it that feeds bitterness other than a sense that I deserve better and that others should do what I want? Everything that God calls us to replace those things with serves others. Everything He forbids serves self. Everything He calls us to serves others. Giving people the truth allows them to have all the facts to make a judgment and to act accordingly. Building them up helps them uh, better become the people God intends them to be. Being kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving says that the needs of others are as important, if not more important, than my own needs. Everything God calls us to here is costly, and it is it is sacrificial. And the reason for all of this is given down in verse twenty-seven. Failing to do so gives the devil an opportunity. When we serve ourselves, when when we lie, when we cheat, when we tear down, when we steal, when we bicker, when we fight, we are tilling the soil for the devil to come in and reap a harvest of destruction. Because he has no room to operate where our truth and love are abundant. But when everyone is in it for themselves, he has free reign. And his goal is, as it always has been, division and destruction. His goal is not for you to serve him. His goal is for you to serve you. Because if you are your own top priority, then you will eventually hate God and hate others. Because anyone who competes for your time, your affection, your resources, your glory will be seen as an enemy. 
The devil's not trying to get you to, to set up a satanic church. He's not trying to get you to champion uh, immorality or, or, or wicked causes. He is completely satisfied to get you to look out for yourself and no one else. And it's against that reality that our passage sets the goal. Uh, the goal is to be renewed in likeness or, or the image of God in true righteousness and holiness. Verses uh, 23 and 24. He's not talking about something new that was never true. He's talking about a restoration of what was originally there. Because when God made man, when he made humans, when he made us, he made us in his own image. Mankind was completely different from all the animals, all the creatures, because it was man alone that God patterned after himself. And the Bible is clear on what that means. It means that that we have an intellect, a, a capacity for truth, and a capacity for lies. It means that we have hearts that can be passionate about what is good or to give up love to what is wicked. It means that we have strength to fight what is evil or to fight what is good. And it means that we were made to be like our God in and, and, and because of that, in these capacities, the, the, the mind, the intellect, the heart, the passion, the strength uh, of life, uh, we had dignity. We had honor. And through this, we were given the unique privilege of, of reflecting our Creator, our God, to the rest of creation. And it's that privilege that uniquely connects us to God and to each other. Whatever else can be said about us, the most fundamental reality about humanity is that we are all, each and every single one of us, made in the image of the eternal God. That binds us together. It gives us a commonality that is greater than any difference that that we can identify. And it should give us a mutual love and respect for each other. It should, except for sin, because it was not long after creation that Adam and Eve chose to rebel. And when they did, they, they traded dignity for disgrace. They, they exchanged God's truth for a lie. They stole what did not belong to them. First the forbidden fruit, and then fig leaves to cover their shame. And in bitterness, Andrew, Andrew, I think that's Latin for, for man, Adam uh, quickly slandered God accusing him of orchestrating this whole thing and being to blame. And what became true of Adam and Eve came to define all their descendants. We are all born with a predisposition to serve ourselves. We are, we are born 
willing to lie and steal as if it serves our purposes. Side story. We just prayed for Matt Cotta. He was a uh, classmate of mine in seminary. I remember he came to school one day. Uh, his, his oldest daughter was about two. He came in and the phone, for the younger people, that's a, it's like an old cell phone that has cords that goes into a wall, was on the floor. Cords up there, phone's a mess. She looks up at him and says, I didn't do it. It was her first sentence. He came to school and he says, my daughter spoke her whole first sentence yesterday and it was a lie. <laughs> Who taught her a lie? No one. We all now bear the image of Adam and we walk in his ways. When Ephesians says, put off the old self, it literally says, put off the old man, and it's, it's calling us to stop being defined by Adam and his rebellion. And yet we see this pattern of sin everywhere. Right now we're seeing it in all its glory in, in identity politics around us. We hear this term turn around and it simply means gathering around particular identifying factors such as race or gender, social background, class, or, or something else and developing a political agenda that serves this unique group. It says that the most important thing about you is what distinguishes you from other people, not what unites you to other people. And then it says that your goal must be to figure out how to serve your group at the expense of another. And you know the tactics. Identify as a victim. And be sure there are people and groups who are victims of great evils. But this approach lacks any nuance. It admits no wrong. It makes no distinction between actual and perceived offenses. It refuses personal responsibility and the goal is not peace but power over others it's, it's vengeance, it's control and it's temptation when you face such a force it's to respond with wrath and malice and seek to destroy it to find competing identity groups together and to establish a, a competing agenda and seek your own good at the expense of others and to get caught in your own identity politics. When your solution is no different than the problem, you give the devil an opportunity. You're acting just like Adam, putting on the old man doing the very things this passage tells us not to do. And this is our greatest temptation when we look at the world around us. And if we can't acknowledge that temptation, we will not be prepared to respond to it. So what's the alternative? The answer is in how our passage begins and ends. The command is is not to behave like children of Adam, but to put on the new man, Christ. The image of God is being restored and you are more and more to be what God has made you to be. Honest, generous, and sacrificial. 
This is what he means when he says in verse uh, chapter 5, verse 1, to be imitators of God. He goes to clarify, he says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a further offering and sacrifice to God. Walk in love. Offer yourself up as a sacrifice to God. To be like Jesus is to be willing to be a living sacrifice before God. To be wrongs in love for others. To be, to be a willing victim for the sake of serving others. A death of politics says, you hurt me for someone else, I must destroy you. The cross of Christ says, you've hurt me, but I choose to serve you. Jesus said, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. That's the attitude Ephesians is calling us to. The gospel transforms how we see wrongs and even victimhood. We notice, but it terrifies us. And so let me be clear on what it does and doesn't mean. It's not a call to silence. It's not a call to roll over and stop proclaiming the truth. Quite the opposite. Our passage repeatedly talks about speaking the truth. If there was ever a time the truth was needed, it's now. What it's addressing is the way or the manner in which we do this. The truth can be used as a weapon or it can be used as an act of love. It can be used to control or it can be used to serve. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's one of the hardest statements in all of Scripture because when we're mistreated, when we're lied about, when you see people trying to conquer you, to take your freedom, to steal your possessions, the last thing you feel is love. But that's the call. That's what it means to put on Christ. That's what what it looks like to imitate God. Because when Jesus was being murdered, for whom did he pray? His murderers. Father, forgive them. And the call to to love others is not limited to the church. Uh, Galatians, tell, Galatians tells us, so that uh, as we have opportunity, let us good, do good to everyone, especially those who are in the household of faith, but not limited to the household of faith. Yes, our care is uniquely directed towards those within the church. Our diaconal uh, care is primarily for the body of Christ. Uh, we need to take special care of each other, but it doesn't end there. We have to do good to everyone, and that's hard. It's not natural. But it starts with seeing all people as being made in the image of your God. Do you know what James says? Speaking of the tongue, he says, With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in his likeness. If we treat others well, 
We must first learn to see them as being made by our God in His image. And if we understand that they are made in His image, we will understand that they are worthy of love and care and, yes, even sacrifice. Everything else is secondary. That's not to deny the differences between genders or to claim that we can't see ethnicity. It's not pretending that class distinctions don't exist. It's simply saying that all of these are secondary and less important to something more fundamental that we are human and we are made in the image of God. When you deny that image, when you when you seek to destroy any inherent dignity in being human, when you seek uh, to lower people to their level of animals, identity politics has to follow because there's nothing else there. But when you see your Savior and those around you, you remember His words, as much as you have done to the least of them, you have done it unto me. There's a temptation we have to think that God's called us to fix the world. You need to be faithful. Do what you can to witness to the truth. Do your civic duty with a queer conscience. But be careful. You can't fix the world. You're not its savior. And you need to remember the promise of Scripture. I could call it a warning, but I think I'll call it a promise. Who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Brother, when we see injustice we're always tempted to one of two extremes. One is to take up a sword and to conquer it, and the other is to hide and retreat. The much harder response that Jesus calls us to is to take up our cross and go forth, to neither lash out nor hide, but to love and to serve. And it starts within the church, the, the household, of faith. We need each other more than ever. We need to pour into each other. We need to be involved with and pray with and serve one another. My hope is that as, uh, that, that as antagonism grows, we will become more diligent to invest in each other. I'd love to see more community groups meeting midweek. I would love that as as a church we would be speaking the truth to one another, building one another up, laboring hard that we might serve one another. When the world looks at us, they they would not see more power hungry, self serving individuals, but those who love and serve others, even those who mistreat them. But to do that, we need to put on Christ. We need to remember that His love, not Adam's selfish rebellion, defines us. 
Lord us do that, the Lord has given us a, a visible picture of what it means to love your enemies. In the Lord's Supper before us, we see a picture of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. No one took his life from him. He freely laid it down. As we come to this table, may our prayer be that we would love as Christ loved us. That we would be willing to give ourselves and that we would be in so doing a fragrant offering and sacrifice to our God. I'd like to ask the elders to come forward that we might receive uh, this gift this morning. Let us pray. Merciful Savior, we, we marvel that you came to save your enemies. You came to, to show mercy to the very ones who afflicted you. We are petty, we are proud, and we are quick to anger. But we want to be more like you, to live lives of sacrifice and to love as we have been loved, to pray for those who persecute us, to do what we must learn, to see you in them, to see that they are created in your image. Help us to do that, and through our imperfect labors, be pleased to call many to faith, we pray. Amen.